So let me mention to you after the service or at the conclusion of the service, we will have communion. And um, if you are a believer in Christ, it doesn't matter where you've come from or what you've done or what church you belong to necessarily. If you're a believer in Christ, you're with us. Amen. Uh, this is what we call open communion, and we would love for you to join us in communion today at the conclusion. Um, when we serve you, just hold on to it. We eat together and we drink together. All right. Good deal. All right. So as we get started today, I've invited um, one of our guys, Damon Hopper, to come and share with us the story, his story, some of it of his relationship with God. And uh, if you don't know Damon, we also call him Hop or Hopper. Uh, he is a world-class rock crawler, off-road racer, totally fun. In December, he took me out, and I wasn't sure what to expect, but here's a couple of pictures from that day. Yeah. I still believe we went through the mud puddle on purpose. <laughs> Halfway through, he gunned it. And let's just say I had to clean off my glasses, and that's all I could. <laughs> it was so much fun. Damon, come on up. Damon is going to share with us, not about that, because all of that is great, but there's, <laughs> but there's something way more important that has happened in Damon's life, and he wants to share it with you today, and that is he found Jesus some years ago and what Jesus did in his life. So here you go, Damon. I had to write this down, so... I'd read script, but if not, keep me from crying as much. So, nine and a half years ago, it was the weekend of Labor Day, 2013, when I knew I had to quit drinking. But the venture began on a Sunday night. It was a typical three-day weekend. Cindy was out of town helping a friend. And for me, it was just a, it was a game of drinking weekend. By the time Sunday evening rolled around, I had more than plenty to drink. Enough to go to bed before 8 o'clock. Me, I'm an 11 o'clock or 12 o'clock person. <clears throat> but I knew I'd push the limits, and all of a sudden I feel a hand on my back. At this point, I know someone's watching over me, and I go to sleep, which is even weirder. But yep, Monday morning rolls around, and I'm back to drinking. I'm an alcoholic. That's what I do. But something happened that afternoon. At 5 o'clock, two of my buddies left. We had a pool, and I'm drinking beer. And I got up, and there were five beers behind me. I drank five beers in 45 minutes. At this point, I knew I had to stop. Call, call Cindy up. I call my brother. He's an alcoholic, three years sobriety at this point, and tell him I need to quit. I'm done. <clears throat> it took a few days to get things lined up. I went to a rehab center because if you just can't stop drinking on your own, bad things will happen to you. So here we go. Off to rehab and now off to life. The things that stick out the most were my first day in church. I don't remember the sermon. I don't remember reading. I don't remember the script exactly. But on the overhead, I read it. And all of a sudden, boom, there it was. It's like, I can see. So here comes the crazy stuff now. So my rock crawling story. So two years later, April of 2018, I'm on the We Rock Rock Crawling Circuit doing the East Coast Series. And I won the Sportsman Series. Higher power. Within this series, we were in Dayton, Tennessee. And I was walking to another gate. And I walked by and I hear this man talking. He has quit drinking for six weeks. I stopped, turn around, and tell him my story. 
to this day, this man is still sober, and he is now a Santa Claus. So, <laughs> higher power. <laughs> so, that's a pretty big, that's a big reward. <coughs> it's all rock crawling, I tell you. But anyway, October 2018, I'm at a rock crawling event in Hurricane, Utah. I meet Matt Messer. He's a pro my driver, so a pro. We struck up a conversation to become friends on Facebook. In May of 2019, Matt is posting pictures of his trip in Israel, and I am starting to pay attention. I shared him a message of how Israel was, and he said it changed his life. Hmm. But if you know me well enough, a few months earlier, Cindy asked me if I want to go to Israel for her birthday, and I said no. But after talking to Matt, I was ready to go. So she moved some few things around. <clears throat> the cool thing about being in Israel was one of my buddies was a Baptist preacher. We worked three years together. He baptized me in the River Jordan. He held me down a little bit longer than everybody else. <laughs> but still, that was, that, that, that was quite the trip. So uh, now we go to September of 2019. What he just showed you up there was, that was a retired race car. It won a race called King of the Hammers. It was a very famous car that 99% of the whole population of the world knows nothing about. So the next thing I know we buy this car, we're actually in the 2020 race. On the last... The Wednesday before the race, we actually drive the cars through town. And it's where the spectators can meet the drivers and see the race cars. Well, doing this, the, my first stop is this guy walks up to me and starts talking to me about my sobriety. This happens two times during this day. So people are really paying attention to what I do and what I've become. So they felt, that felt really good. So... <coughs> So reality is, because of rock crawling and this, I have over 3,500 people who follow me on Facebook. I use the Facebook platform a lot for my sobriety and for all the things like taking preachers out, things like that. Uh, I'm very proud of what I'm able to overcome, and I, and I know the hand on my back has taken me places that I never imagined. So thank you, Jesus. Thank all of y'all. And if you ever need to talk to me, I'm here. And finally, take a preacher rock crawl. Thank you, Damon. <laughs> Only take a preacher rock crawling if you're good at it, all right? <laughs> it is scary. Uh, thank you, Damon. Beautiful story. You know, what Christ has done in your life, you know, and it's, it's pretty fun, you know, when he gets to tell people, because he's like, man, it's easy to win these now because I'm the only one sober there. <laughs> so, <laughs> Awesome. You know, what Jesus does in our lives can change our lives if we allow him to. He can change our lives if we allow him to. And if you've yet to be changed, if you've yet to experience that different life than before you accepted Christ into your life, there are some things that you can tangibly do to make that happen, right? And, uh, but you will feel that hand on your back along the way because he is with you. So today what I want to talk to you about is... God chose you to be his, to be his. So we're in a series called The Chosen. It's based upon the, the show that you can look up on the Internet. Some of you have been watching it and we've been talking about it simply because uh, some of you have questions. And so I'm trying to bring some clarity to it, some of the major themes that are throughout it. And today we're, we're talking about this theme that he chose you. And 
The clip today, the scene today that I want to show you is of Mary Magdalene. Y'all have heard of Mary Magdalene, hopefully. Mary was possessed by seven demons. Not one, not three, not five, seven demons. That's a problem, isn't it? And Jesus chose her to be his. Let's watch this clip. I can do to help you. Give me that. Lots of it. That's not going to solve your problems. It's meant to distract from no them. No more preaching. Just give it to me. Lilith, please listen to what I'm says the Lord who created you and he who formed you. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You The story of Jesus is way bigger than just the nation of Israel. It's way bigger than even the world. He came to save the world. He came to, to save every generation worldwide. But the story is way bigger than that. For billions and billions of people to be saved, it's even bigger than that. And I say that because it takes a really big God to do what God actually did for you. 
And that is to save every individual, to heal, spiritually heal, to come into a relationship with every individual. That takes a really big God. It's the story of God who is big, not just choosing a nation, not just choosing a group of people, but God who is so big that he could choose you, every individual, to be his. You see, there's something about God that you need to know, and that's what we're going to talk about for a few minutes today. And that is, God is very possessive. Y'all remember when you were in high school, your parents would be like, don't go out with that girl, she's very possessive. Or that guy is very possessive. Y'all remember that? Is, was it just me, my parents taught me that? Just me? And I'm grateful they taught me that. But this is different. You see that it's not possessive like that nightmare teenage possessive girlfriend or boyfriend that you had that was in it for themselves, that were selfishly trying to pull you away from your friends and your family, trying to get you away from everybody. And you're mine, you're mine, and I'm going to hold on to you. I'm going to hug you, I'm going to squeeze you, and I'm going to name you George, right? That's not the kind of possession that we're talking about. This, this is the kind of possession that a king... A good king, a loving king, a king that's willing to lay his life down for you and say, you are mine. That's the kind of possession we're talking about. Jesus says, you're mine. You belong to me. Last year, when my loving and beautiful wife passed away, there, there's been one question, and you've heard me throughout the last year talking about it. Along the way, one of the biggest questions that I had when it came to my relationship with God was, was this. God, are you enough? I don't know if you're enough, God. Because along the way, I didn't feel like he was enough at that time. And I remembered in a lot of the, a lot of the songs that I sang when I was a kid growing up, you know, he's, I, I've, I've debated whether I'm going to sing the song or just say it. Some of you are going to tell me to keep my day job. He's all I need. He's all I need. Jesus is all I need. Y'all remember that song growing up? He's all. No, I won't. <laughs> you know, after you've been with someone for 30 years and, and you've built a family, you've built a home, you've built a church with this person and suddenly they're ripped away. Is Jesus enough? How could he be? Would he be? It's a big question for me. You see, if he's all I get for the rest of my life and all I get for eternity, is he all I need? Now think about this. When you get to heaven, he's all you're going to have. Is that going to be enough? You see, if every one of you walked away from me today, denied me and decided not to like me, would that be an, would he be enough? That's a question that we all need to answer. Is belonging to God enough? When he says, you are mine, is that enough for you? What do you need? What do you want? Who do you want? What do you want to keep? What are you afraid of holding? Or what are you afraid of losing? 
Is belonging to God enough? If suddenly you were the richest person in the world, would you come back and say, well, that's great, but he's all I need. I don't need these riches. Would you be able to say that? Would you be able to live that kind of life? You see, here's what God thinks. God thinks absolutely he's enough. God thinks that. Why? Because God knows it. And he knows all things. And Jesus told us over and over, hey, listen, I'm enough for you. I am all that you need. That's what Jesus talked about. He said, hey, if, if, if your eye is going to keep you from having this relationship with me, pluck it out. He was so confident that he's enough in your life that he says, do that. He told people, hey, listen, I'm so great and a relationship with me is so great that you could go sell all of your possessions, give everything to the poor to have this relationship with me and you won't regret it. God was very confident. Jesus put it this way one day. He said, if you go out into a field and you find a buried treasure in that field, he says, rebury that thing, go sell everything, come back and buy that field so that you can also own that treasure. He says, that's what a relationship with me is like. That's what the kingdom of God is like. You would, you would go sell everything just to have this relationship with me. If you really knew what this relationship with me was like, was like that's what you would do. And in that same passage, he, he said this, uh, he used this as an illustration. He said he's the pearl of great price, right? He said, or God's kingdom is like a jewel merchant on the hunt for exquisite pearls. Finding one that is flawless, he immediately sells everything and buys it. He says, a relationship with me is worth giving up everything in your life and coming into that relationship. And he says, trust me, even if you don't see it for a while on this earth where you want to see it and how you want to see it, you trust me because something is coming your way that's going to be huge and big. And you've got to believe for that. What's interesting about this is this. What Jesus calls you and me to do, he says, hey, go sell everything, go get it. Get, if, if that's what it takes to have this relationship with me, you give up everything in your life to have that. What's interesting is Jesus did basically that for you. When he chose you, he says, I'm going to give up my life for you. But I'm going to take it back, right? I'm going to give up my life. I'm going to go through torture I'm going to go through beating. I'm going to be hung on a cross. But don't worry. It's not going to keep me down. I'm going to live again so that I can come back for you. And he said this. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. He says, I paid for you. I paid for you. And. Has anybody else in this world ever done that for you? Has anybody else ever wanted that kind of a relationship with you that they were willing to pay a huge price to have a relationship with you? He says, I bought you. I paid for you. In the Old Testament, we can see God's intentions for us by reading about his relationship with the Israelites. And so we can look all throughout the Old Testament and see what God really wanted with people in the New Testament, in the New Covenant with us by looking at that old, old relationship. 
And there's the story in the Old Testament about the Israelites being brought out of slavery in Egypt. Do you remember that? Moses went by God's commands and he brought them out of slavery and he brought them into the promised land. And that's symbolic of you coming out of your old life, like Damon was talking about, coming out of that old life into a new life, right? And he sees the difference and we appreciate that difference. And, and God has changed his life and done some great things. That's Mary Magdalene. God took her out of that old life and brought her into a new life. And that's what he can do in our lives. Amen? So it was symbolic of leaving Egypt, coming into the promised land. And Moses was addressing the people in Deuteronomy just before they went into the promised land. And here's what he said. But as for you... The Lord took you and brought you out of the iron smelting furnace out of Egypt to be the people of his inheritance. His inheritance. The people of God are his inheritance. Inheritance is something we all hope for, right? And God hopes for you to be his inheritance. That's awesome. That was symbolic of you. He says, you are my happy forever. You're what will make me happy forever. And Moses went on to tell him this. He said in Deuteronomy chapter 4. Be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord your God that he made with you. Do not make for yourselves an idol in the form of anything the Lord your God has forbidden. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire. And what does he say? He's a jealous God. A jealous God. What is jealousy? Jealousy is when you're afraid you're going to lose somebody. That they're going to walk away from you. That they're going to see something else and go after them instead of you. That's jealousy. Envy is just the opposite. Envy is when you look and see what someone wants or what somebody has and you want that too. But jealousy is when you're afraid you're going to lose somebody because they're going to walk away from you. I remember one time... I was pulling out of a gas station when I was a teenager and I had a girlfriend in the car. And if you don't know this, I love cars. I really enjoy car cars. And, and there was one that was driving by. And what I did not know was that car was full of beautiful girls. <laughs> I wish I had known that. And this car went driving by and I started looking at it and I watched it from right all the way to the left. And next thing I know, I was getting hit. <laughs> she was like, what are you looking at? She was afraid I was going to see somebody and go after them instead of her. That's jealousy. And eventually I did. So. <laughs> and God says, I'm jealous of you. I don't like when you go after things other than me. Now, you, if you don't like that, that's your decision. But at least he communicates it, right? At least he tells us, I don't like this. When you make an idol and you start worshiping something besides me, I don't like that. Isn't it good to know what God likes and doesn't like? That's relationship. And when we accommodate for that relationship, that is salvation. That's you working out your salvation and changing your life to accommodate from him living inside of you. You see, this is what God gave us in the Ten Commandments. He says, I, the Lord, your God. Listen how personal that is. I, the Lord, your God. I am a jealous God. I'm a jealous God. What does that mean? It means God feels it when you reject him. 
He feels it. He takes it personal when you reject him. Another place says this, for the Lord's portion is his people. The Lord's portion is his people. That means you are somebody that he finds as a delicacy, right? You're wonderful in his, in his presence. And, and he feels it when you worship him and you're with him in that relationship. He feels it. It's beautiful. King David wrote this. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people. The Apostle Paul wrote this, for if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or die, we're the Lord's. We belong to him. He bought us. He paid for us. God said in Isaiah, fear not, for I have redeemed you. What does that mean? He means he bought you. He paid the price for you. I've bought you back from the enemy, right? I've called you by name. You are mine. God says, you're his. And he takes it very personal when you reject him. But you better know this. He loves it when you accept him. And when you talk to him, you have a relationship with him. You wake up in the morning, you say, good morning, father, right? Thank you so much for a new day. Thank you for what you've done in my life. And you just talk to him. You give him thanks. You give him praise. But you also bring your needs to him because you know that he cares. You know that he wants you in, in his life. So what does this mean? It means this. He cares for you. Do you believe that? He cares for you. He cares about your life. He cares about your well-being. He cares about what happens to you. He cares when someone does something to you that hurts you. He cares about all of that. He really cares about it. And it means this. He comforts you. He called the Holy Spirit the comforter, right? He sent the comforter to take care of you, to watch over you. You see, whatever you've gone through and are going through in this life, God will give you comfort when you turn to him for it. The problem that we make, the, one of the biggest transitions we have to make when we come into our relationship with God is, is the transition of instead of turning to the stuff the world provides to bring comfort to us, we start turning to God for comfort. That's a transition that has to take place. That's exactly what Damon was talking about. Instead of turning to beer, he started turning to Jesus for comfort in his life. And don't you know he found it? That's a beautiful story, isn't it? The problem with turning to the wrong things in our lives when we need comfort is all it does is just makes the mess worse. It just makes it worse. Well, I've got this horrible pain. I've got this horrible situation. I've got this big loss in my life, John. I deserve to, to be comforted. Yes, you do. But when you comfort yourself with the wrong things, it just makes it all worse. How many of you found that to be true? 80% of us? The other 20, you got a little bit of living to do. Either that or you just don't want to raise your hand. God wants to comfort you. And he will. If you let him. God wants to heal you. He wants to heal you. He wants to help you. And God wants to set you free. If you're in chains, if you're in bondage, if you're stuck in an addiction, 
If you're struggling, man, we've got people in here that can talk to you and tell you what Jesus did for them. And they're shaking their heads and saying amen right now. There is freedom in Christ. Amen? But bigger than all of those things that God wants to do for you. God wants to give you purpose and he wants to give you meaning in your life. Because when your life is meaningful, it doesn't matter how painful it gets. There's purpose in the pain. There's meaning in the pain. There's something fruitful in the pain and the struggle and the strife and the difficulty. There's meaning in your life. That's what God brings to us in this life. And you need to know this, that you are His. You belong to Him. He made you His. Mary Magdalene had seven demons inside of her. Seven selfish, evil, conniving, destroying demons had possessed her. Think about that. They had possessed her. They had gone in, taken over. They didn't, they didn't own her. They thought they did. They acted like they owned her, right? They never paid for her. They never bought her. They came in and they used and abused her for whatever their purposes were. They hurt her. They maligned her. They used and ruined the early years of her life. Seven demons had possessed her. Then Jesus came and he delivered her. And here's the cool thing. After he died and raised from the dead, what happened? Jesus possessed her. He's possessive. That means he said, Mary, you're mine. You belong to me. And here's the cool thing about it is Jesus paid for her. He bought her. He invested into her. And Jesus deserved her because of what he did, right? He gave her meaning and purpose. And Mary Magdalene's life was completely changed from that day forward. And God had delivered her. And he didn't, listen, he didn't possess her to hurt her. He possessed her to heal her. He didn't possess her to control her. He possessed her to set her free. And that's what he wants to do in all of our lives. And if you've yet to experience that freedom, you've yet to really let Jesus take over your life. God possesses us to give us true meaning and true purpose in our lives. Not to control us, not to hurt us, not to to be mean to us, not to abuse us. Listen, the pain of life, the struggle of life, all of it becomes an adventure when you give it over to Jesus. Your life, your pain, your struggle becomes an adventure now i know that sounds like something you'd read online and try to but i'm telling you it's real james david would you come i need to get a little personal here with you and tell you a story um hope you appreciate it january 16th 2022 i found myself in a situation i never believed would happen i never dreamed it would happen I'd been married to the most lovely and beautiful woman for almost 29 years. We'd been together for 30 years, almost to the day. And at 2.10 a.m. on that Sunday morning, I received a phone call. It was the house doctor. Could hardly understand him. That should be against the law. 
And he started telling me all that they had done over the last 20 minutes. And he said, but there was nothing more we could do. And it didn't compute. And I, I said, okay, all right, so I understand. She's intubated. She's, she's got this tube down her throat. She's got all of this that you guys have done to try to revive her and all of that. Okay, so what do we do now? Is she moving to another floor? It just wasn't computing. No, sir. She's gone. We lost her. This can't be right, God. She's mine. We built a home together. We've got all of the decorations in our home and everything is what we did together. We've made a family together. We've got children. We started a church together and the church is, is finally growing after all these years. It's doing something to really touch more lives. And we've got a grandbaby on the way in June. God. And she's going to be the best grandmother ever. This can't be right. She's vital to our community. She has all the answers for our kids. God, this can't be. Suddenly, I found myself living in one of the Hallmark movies that she always made me watch with her. And she would, I'd be like, what are we watching this for? It's clean, John. <laughs> okay, I'll give you that. You know, suddenly I'm the widowed dad standing in DSW with my daughter and she's trying on shoes and looks at me for guidance and I'm like. <laughs> so a few weeks later, I'm in bed and I'm praying, begging God for an opportunity for her to come and talk to me. Because you see, we never had that last conversation that was real. She didn't leave notes behind, you know, tell the kids this when they're this age or anything like that. Because number one, she didn't want to go. And number two, if we did start talking about it, that would lead to cardiac arrest, right? So that last week, I had an hour a day with her. And we never talked about it. The last hour I spent with her, I was cleaning up her colostomy bag because the nurse the night before had just ruined it, right, wreaked havoc on her. Said bye to her. Her eyes were more blue than I've ever seen them. As I turned and looked at her again, leaving the hospital room, and she said, I love you. And I was praying that night, a few weeks later, and I said, God, would you please let us just at least have that moment of goodbye. Maybe she could say just one thing. What would that be? I drifted off to sleep. Around 4.30 in the morning, I woke up right into a conversation with God because I just had a dream. And it was one of those brutally honest moments and listen, this is how you know God is talking to you. 
He's brutally honest. He's harsh at times, you would think. But you know that it's truth and you know it's love that you need to hear. And as harsh and rude as it seems to be at the moment, it's what you need to hear. And that's God. Because he loves you. And the dream was this. I was on the platform at church. Church was about to start. People were starting to come in and I was fixing microphones and stuff and I... I looked up, and it was a different building. I don't know how that happens. I guess that's dreams, right? But Angela was sitting over here where Robert is seated on the third row up against the wall. And I was like, oh my goodness, what is she doing here? So I finished real quick, and I walked across the platform. And as I did, I saw that she walked out a door over there and, and, and into a hallway. And so I left, and I walked out that door. And I looked at her. I said, Angela. And she stopped down the hallway. And she turned around. And I quickly walked up to her and she had this look of, what am I doing here on her face? And I put my hands on her shoulders and I said, let me kiss you. And I went in for a kiss and she goes, <laughs> and I kissed her right here and it was just nothing. And some people were walking by and I said, can, can you guys see her? Yeah, yeah, she looks a little pale. <laughs> and I said, well, we're about to start church. Do you want to join us? Yeah, but why am I here? I don't understand why I'm here. She wasn't happy to see me. There wasn't anything like that. There wasn't this connection that we've always had. Why am I here? I don't understand. I said, well, I don't know, hon, but come on, let's go on into the sanctuary. And we started walking towards the door of the sanctuary, and I woke up. And God began to tutor me. And he began to say some things that I didn't want to hear, but I needed to hear. He said, I'm not going to let her come as a ghost. I don't want you living the rest of your life and making decisions based upon her possibly coming back. I want you living the rest of your life waiting for me to come back. Ouch. And then he said, no, I said, but God, what about the kiss? Why couldn't I just have one more kiss? And very abruptly and very quickly, he said, because she's not yours, she's mine. And he paused, and then he said, but you're mine too. Oh, man. Love filled me. You need to know that God is very possessive of you. He doesn't see you as just some person that's out there doing their own thing. He knows you by name. Jesus said, if you grow a hair, I know it. If you lose a hair, I know it. He said that because he said, 
I know the numbers of hair. I know your hairs are numbered on your head. That's what he said, right? He knows everything about you, every detail about you. You belong to him. Your spouse belongs to him. If you do good to your spouse, he notices. If you do bad to your spouse, he notices. You belong to him. He bought you at a price. He paid for you. And here's what I found. Didn't happen until just a couple of weeks ago. But it's true. It's true. He's all I need. He's all I need. Jesus is all I need. I entered into a different relationship with him than I've ever had. And I'm telling you, it's real. It's true. He really does love you and care for you and wants to know you intimately and have a deep relationship with you. I have found that driving down the road, I do a lot of driving in, in my job. He's sitting next to me telling me what to put on the radio and what to turn off, just like my wife used to. I know it sounds crazy, but I'm telling you it's true. Jesus really does love you and care for you. And he has called you into a life of meaning and purpose. And he wants that with you. And God forbid you have to lose someone dear and near to your heart to find this. And unfortunately, that's what I apparently needed. But I'm telling you it's real, and I'm telling you it's true. God help whoever that's for, in Jesus' name. And would you bow your heads, and would you close your eyes? Some of you are going through life's pain and struggle right now. And I'm telling you, there's a reason for it, and it's so that you'll come close to God. It's so that you'll draw close to him. Some people curse him. Some people hate him. Some people turn away from him and they turn to the world for help and for comfort. And all it does is makes life a bigger pain. But if you'll let him be your comfort today, if you'll begin to enter into that closer relationship with him, he will come in He'll talk with you. He'll be with you. He'll love you like you've never been loved. He'll be real to you. Because indeed he is. If you haven't talked to God in a long time, if you don't have that relationship with him, today's the day to begin it. Invite him into your life, fresh and new. Let the resurrection of Christ become real inside of you. Let him come alive. Jesus, come into my heart, into my life. I want this relationship. I want to get to know who you are, what you like and what you don't like and what you do. And I want to make that my life. I want to accommodate for you. If it takes me getting rid of everything or whatever I need to do to make this happen, God, 
I choose you. You're God. And I invite you into my life. Thank you, Jesus. I'm yours, God. Maybe you're going through the hell of this life today. Right where you are. Just say, God, I'm yours. I belong to you. And I believe in you. I believe in your love. I believe in your mercy. I believe in your healing. Even though I don't see those things at this moment, I believe. I choose to believe. And this world can look on and see somebody that loves you in spite of pain, in spite of struggle. And I choose you. You're my God. You're my comfort. You're my hope. And I thank you that in the coming days and weeks, I'm going to come to know you more and more and more. You're my God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus.